Well, good morning. Uh, welcome if you're joining us online. It's great to have you uh, joining us. If you're here in the hall, big welcome to you as well. Um, we've been uh, in uh, a time of, of lockdown. I don't know if you remember um, that we had a number of videos of people who had extraordinary answers to prayer. Um, there were people who had uh, found work when it was really drying up for them, or found a home, uh, or someone in their family had been quite ill, and, uh, and God had healed them. And as we had those stories uh, on those videos, uh, on the one hand, I was like, this is just what we need, isn't it? Uh, we need to be reminded that God cares about us. He cares about our situation. Uh, he hears us when we pray, and he responds, and he answers. Uh, it's so important for us to remember that. And yet, on the other hand, many of us were in a situation where we were praying for something. Perhaps it was those very things, a job or health or, or something else. And we longed for God to answer. And yet, we weren't receiving some of the answers that we longed for. I think it's very easy um, as Christians, as anyone really, to think uh, that prayer is like a slot machine. Uh, you know, um, you, you put the, 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 the coin in, the prayer in the top, pull the lever, and then out comes ka-ching, the, the answer to prayer that you, want, uh, you long for. Um, but it's not like that. Uh, in the story that we're going to uh, see this morning, uh, there's two people who are wholeheartedly following Jesus. And no doubt both of them were praying uh, for God to intervene, uh, miraculously. And one of them gets an incredible answer. And the other one gets, well, he, he dies. He ends up executed. Uh, King Herod executes him. And, and when we pray, uh, what I want us to get this morning is that an expectancy that God can do anything. He is more powerful than any force that comes against us. And yet, on the other hand, we do not always know what God wants for us and what is necessarily best for us or uh, his, his great plan for us and for those around us and for his world. Um, and so I want to pray uh, and then um, we're going to look at this passage in Acts, this amazing story. So should we pray? If you're at home, you might want to bow your head, just get into that space where you're just listening to God and, uh, and, and being with him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this story and we pray that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit um, to surrender to you, to trust you, build our faith, build our expectation that you uh, can answer and yet help us surrender when, when, it's, when it's tough, when we're not getting the answers that we're longing for. Would you help us now as we come to your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as uh, uh, Tom said, we've been in the book of Acts uh, and this is the final uh, talk in the, the section that we're looking at. And in Acts, uh, it's written by a guy called Luke, a doctor, who in his first book, uh, Luke, he told the good news of Jesus. And now he's telling the story of that good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and how it's spreading across the whole world. And uh, we get to this point where the church is growing uh, in, in incredible ways. And then verse 1 uh, of Acts chapter 12 um, King Herod starts uh, arresting some of the Christians there, intending to persecute them. Uh, and then he gets James, not the brother of Jesus, but James, the brother of John, one of those early 12 disciples, a key figure in the early church. He gets him and he executes him. And James is dead. And you can imagine uh, what that would have done for the early church. Ripples of grief and sadness. And just, what are you doing, God? 
Uh, I'm sure they would have been praying for him to be released, for, 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 for God to overrule and stop Herod from executing James. And Herod um, realises he's, he's, he's a brutal king, he's a, a powerful king, he has a, a vast territory under the Roman emperor, um, he's ambitious and he thinks, oh this is pleasing some of the people in that area and so what I'll do is I'll go for the next person and he rests Peter, intending the very same thing, there's going to be a trial, a sham trial and, uh, and, and the story goes. And so what will the church do? What will this little group, this little community do uh, when the guns, if you like, of, and the powers of that world are pointed at their leader, Peter? What will they do? What can a little community like them do? What we, can we do when we're facing all kinds of challenges? Well, what do they do? It says, verse 12, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Uh, That uh, phrase, earnestly praying, um, is the same phrase that's used of Jesus when he's in that garden of Gethsemane, facing execution himself on the cross. And, uh, And he earnestly prays, he passionately prays, God, will you take this cup of suffering away from me? But not my will, but yours be done. And so he prays like that. And that's what real faith is. Real faith isn't saying God will just do whatever I want. Real faith goes, God can overrule any situation. He's more powerful than any power in this world, whether it's a prime minister, whether it's a council, whether it's someone from a multinational company or anyone else, a neighbor, someone else that has power over us. God is more powerful than them and he can break through. And they would have remembered that Peter had been in prison twice. He'd been arrested uh, by uh, the religious leaders, put in prison, and twice he escapes. One time the prison doors just open wide for him. On one of those occasions, uh, they all gather back in prayer and they start erupting in prayer. And they say, God, they quoting Psalm 2, they say, God, you are more powerful than anyone else. And you laugh at those who, who think that they're more powerful than you. You mock them because you, you are more powerful than those that snigger and think that they can do whatever they want. You are in control. And so I imagine as they gather to pray, they're remembering what God has done in the past. And they're praying on the basis of that. A great thing when we're struggling, when we're thinking, what on earth is going on? How are we going to get out of this scenario? This challenge just feels too immense is to remember what God has done in the past, particularly in his word, and go, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. And so I'm going to hold on to who you are, and I'm going to pray, trusting that you can do amazing things. Uh, Let me ask you a question. When you're struggling, what is your gut reaction? Do you pray? Uh, John Piper says, uh, Christians... Uh, Mature Christians are people who, when they don't know what to do, they know what to do. They pray. Let's be a people that when we don't know what to do, we pray. Well, the church is praying, uh, but meanwhile, Peter is in prison. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, as Dave read uh, the story, 
um, that it was a bit like one of those James Bond films, have you ever seen them, where um, uh, James Bond is put in some kind of uh, high-security prison, and as this kind of the film goes on, you realise that it's more and more unlikely that he will escape because he's, you know, chained in various ways, and there's, like, some kind of ultra uh, system to make sure cameras everywhere, you know, infrared beams, he, there's no way he's going to get out. And it's a bit like this... Uh, in, in the story that we just listened to. Um, Peter is chained uh, to two Roman soldiers either side. And then there's two other Roman soldiers who are guarding uh, the door. And in case any of them um, would, you know, overnight, one of them would probably fall asleep if that happened. But there's four squads. So they're going to take a different part of the night shift. And not only that, they're trained Roman soldiers. They're used to doing this. And not only that... They, uh, if you were a Roman soldier and you were guarding a prisoner, if you let him escape, you would face the penalty that they were going to face that next morning. In other words, they would have known, if we let this guy escape, I will be executed. There's no way they're going to let Peter escape. And yet what happens? Uh, I don't know if you noticed, it's the night before the sham trial and then the execution will follow. I don't, I don't know if you ever noticed that God often acts last minute, but verse 7, uh, have a read with me. It says this, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared. I don't know what angels always appear suddenly, don't they? And a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, quick, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. So the angel, um, he says, you know, put on clothes, sandals, follow me. And Peter follows him out of prison. He's got no idea what's going on. He's like sleepwalking out of prison. It's only later that he realizes it's it's not a vision. But they pass the first and second guards. And then they come to the iron gate leading to the city. And it just opens this iron gate. You know, it's maximum security prison. The gates just fling wide open. And he walks out a free person. Amazing. You know, everything is stacked against him. Um, you know, even the fact that Peter, don't know if you noticed, Peter was asleep before his execution. The angel comes in, wakes him up, but apparently the guards, who have every reason not to be asleep, are fast asleep and don't wake up, even though an angel lights up the prison with its glory. And you kind of think, oh, I get woken up by the dawn at the moment. Did you get woken up about 5.30 a.m.? An angel is probably brighter than the dawn, doesn't wake up any of these soldiers. It's miraculous. God is more powerful than any chain, any gate, any barrier to, his, to people who have got purposes against what God wants. Now, there will be some of you that will go, well, did that really happen? You know, is, is it a legend? Is it a story with a point? But it's not really uh, exactly what happened. And I, I get that. And, and to be honest, I might think that if it wasn't for one thing, and it's this. I am utterly convinced that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And I think the evidence is compelling. And if you're interested in looking into the evidence, you can, uh, you can work. Alpha is a great place to explore uh, that question. Uh, there's books uh, by a guy called Lee Strobel who's looked at the evidence for that. I think it's compelling. Uh, and not only that, I think if, it, it, if I was in a courtroom working out, is it, did it happen, did it not happen? I think it's beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that's the case, if Jesus can die and ri- rise from the dead, then all supernatural, miraculous occasions that we see in the Bible 
are, are legit. They, they can happen because God can do anything. If Jesus can rise from the dead, the greatest barrier to, to life to, um, that is possible. Uh, an Indian man called Sundar Singh uh, was uh, passionate about hear, people hearing about the good news of Jesus. And, uh, and he was telling people in India. And uh, the chief of that area began to get very upset about what was going on. And in the end, he said, right, that's it. I'm going to throw Sundar Singh uh, down a deep pit. I'm going to put a, a lid on the top. It's going to be locked. He's not going to escape. And so he does that. Sundar Singh, as he falls down the pit, he injures his arm. Uh, again, it looks like there's no way he can escape. Well, in the night, uh, Sundar Singh hears uh, a key in the lock. And the lock... Uh, coming undone and then the lid opening and then suddenly there's a rope that is lowered down with a loop on the end which just brings him such joy because he would have never been able to hold on with both arm, with both hands because one of his arms was so injured and so he puts his foot in the loop and holds on with one hand and is and, and is taken up out of the pit and what does he do a bit like the apostles he goes back tells people more people about Jesus and what he's done on the cross and through his resurrection and how they can have eternal life through him well the the the, uh, the chief in the area hears what's going on he brings Sardar Sardar Singh uh, in front of him and says who is responsible for this who is the key and who is the one who unlocked that padlock lifted up the lid and brought him out who is it and there's a deafening silence as everyone realizes one by one and finally the chief does too that the person with the key is the chief it's on his person and there's no way that anyone could have got it and no way anyone would have dared because they would have found themselves in a pit like Sundar Singh did God can do miraculous things When the odds are stacked against you, all bets are off when God is involved. Someone once said to me, um, remember this equation. It's not a complicated maths equation, don't worry. One plus God equals an overwhelming majority. You plus God equals an overwhelming majority. God can act. He can intervene. His timing is perfect. Sometimes it feels like, why can't, why can't you act before the last moment, God? But he does act. He's never late. Uh, maybe in your life you uh, sense, you know, people have let me down. People haven't shown up when I've needed them. People have been late when I've desperately wanted them. God is never late. He is always on time. He does act and he does intervene. He does show up just like he did for Peter. Well, Peter uh, comes out of prison, and it's really quite a hilarious scene what happens next. Uh, He realizes that this isn't just like some vision, that this has actually happened. And so he goes to the very house where the church is holding this overnight prayer meeting. And uh, verse 13 says this, uh, Peter knocked to the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice... She was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Peter must have, I wonder what was going through Peter's mind. He said, I've just escaped a maximum security prison. The soldiers are on their way. Please let me in. 
But anyway, she, she's so excited, she forgets about all of that. She goes back and she, she says, and Peter's at the door. And she, you know, sorry to interrupt the prayer meeting for Peter. I'm sorry that um, you know, I, I don't want to interrupt and be rude. I'm just a servant. But, but Peter's at the door and they go, no, it can't be. I know we're praying for him, but it can't be. You're out of your mind. The first explanation they come up with in the prayer meeting for Peter is that Rhoda is mad. And when, and when she insists... That I'm not mad. I don't know how she proved it. But anyway, she carries on. No, it is genuinely him. They think, well, what could it be? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's like a kind of guardian angel dressed up like Peter or something like that. That's the most likely explanation, surely, if she's not mad. And eventually, Peter is still knocking at the door trying to get in, worried the secret police are going to come and, uh, and catch him. Uh, he's let in and he says to them, they're all astonished. They just can't believe it. They can't believe God answer prayer. We've been praying all night. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And yet we're a bit like that, aren't we? I mean, I don't know. I've had some amazing answers to prayer in my life. And I, I kind of am gobsmacked when God answers. But God is a God who loves to answer us. And he doesn't always answer the way we want. But sometimes he doesn't. Isn't it the sweetest moment? It's the most amazing thing. Peter, um, he motions to everyone. They, they, they clearly have forgotten completely what Peter's going through because he has to motion to them to keep them quiet. <laughs> you know, if you've ever looked into um, the persecuted church, you'll know that they have to meet in small groups um, and keep quiet. They can't sing. A bit, well, you know, we can maybe relate to that a little bit um, because they'll, people will overhear and the police will come and arrest them. But he has the motion to keep them quiet. And verse 17, I love it. It says, Peter motioned with his hand for them um, to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Uh, the first thing he does is describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. The first thing he does is give credit where credit is due. Not to him. I mean, he knows very well that basically the, the, the sum total of what he did in this whole incident is a sleepwalk out of a prison and just about managing to put his clothes on. That's all he did. Everything else was done by the Lord. He was the one that broke the chains uh, from his wrist. He was the one that opened the uh, iron gates. He was the one that managed to get him out of the prison despite all those guards. He gives credit to the Lord. And this is in sharp contrast to what happens in the next passage. You can read it uh, from verse uh, 19 onwards uh, with Herod. He, Herod's sitting on his throne one day and he's, he's looking the part and he's saying to his PA, um, you know, can you uh, take a good Instagram shot for me, please? You know, I don't I look so good. Hashtag Herod is God and everyone's shouting Herod is God. And God says, no, that's that's enough is enough. And God judges him and he dies. Um, but, but Herod's different from Peter. Peter gives credit to God. He says, he describes how the Lord has brought him out of prison. And that's a great lesson for us, isn't it? To say, God, you know, it's you that is, you've taken me through this. When we share our faith, we, we don't, it's not, I'm a brilliant Christian. I'm such a good person. It, it's the Lord that has rescued us. It's him that has done it. And I wonder, is that our language? When we talk with other people about Jesus, uh, when we talk about how he's worked in our lives, do we describe it as the Lord doing it? That's what Peter does. 
Now, um, you might ask the question that I asked right at the beginning. Hang on, this is great, Mark, you know, because God has done a miraculous thing for Peter, but, and he has for me at times maybe as well. But right now, it's really tough, and God doesn't answer prayer. Like you say, it's not a slot machine. Well, imagine for a moment that you go to heaven, and um, I hope you will, but, uh, but imagine you're there, and uh, you meet James, and you, as you see James, and you remember this story, you go, oh, James, I'm so sorry it didn't work out for you. Yeah, I'm so sorry, you know, because Peter, he had like three miraculous escapes, but poor you, you were, you were, you were executed. It must have been hard for you. And I can imagine, imagine James, what he says. He says, what, what are you talking about? You, don't be sorry for me. I'm here. I mean, I know Peter had that great escape, but I don't want to downplay what God did. But I experienced the greatest escape ever, far greater than all of that. I mean, I was, I was in my sin, my self-centeredness, eating me alive, separating me from God. And Jesus came and rescued me, dying on the cross for me, paying the penalty for me. I mean, I was, I was under the death and I, was, I was, had no hope. And Jesus rose from the dead, grabbed my hand and brought me out of death into eternal life. I mean, Satan, it was out to steal and kill and destroy me. And Jesus came and has given me life and life to the full. Don't, don't feel sorry for me. I've experienced the greatest rescue ever. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, you experience that rescue, that amazing rescue, if you like, the primary rescue, the most important rescue in all of history. And then there are also those times where we experience what I might call secondary rescues, uh, they're not the most important. They're wonderful when they happen, when God provides a job or, or a house or God provides us money. But they're not the ultimate thing. They're wonderful. And when God heals and gives us health, it's great. And we thank God and we rejoice for him. And when he does it for other people, even when it's hard for us, we still want to rejoice and say, God, thank you that you've, you've intervened in this person's life. But sometimes, for whatever reason, and we don't understand, God's ways are higher than our ways, he doesn't always do it. He doesn't always provide that secondary rescue out of health problems or out of relationship crises or out of financial difficulties or out of persecution or whatever it might be. Sometimes he doesn't. And in those times, we say to God, just like Jesus, earnestly praying in Gethsemane, not my will be done but yours. If you, God, if you can take this cup of suffering away, please do, but not my will be done, but your will be done, because your will is the best. Yours is the best for me, even when I don't understand and when it's really hard. Paul says uh, in Romans 8, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One day we will look back like James in my kind of imaginary story. That's not in the Bible, by the way, in case anyone wonders. You know, he, I imagine him looking back and going, it was, it was a momentary suffering, but it's nothing compared to the glory of the new creation being close with God in God's family for all eternity.